Welcome to this completely unnecessary podcast, Super Show, for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, alongside in the basement, Ian Ferguson. Yeah, that's me, legitimately recording from my <laughs> parents' basement I'm right Pat now. Country. Yeah. On the show today, we'll be talking about lots of things, like Frank Sauce on Sunday. Uh, we already talked about why Twitter sucks. Uh, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon real quick a, a review of Starfield not from me because it's technically not out yet uh, it is for, it came out or it's already not been for, out for uh, it's on Xbox it's on um, actually Xbox is to, tomorrow yes Game Pass I think was yesterday it's and not out early for, buyers got it on the first like I said it's not out for everyone yet so okay. we're talking about that um, we'll be talking about the 2600 plus and other things as well um we talked about ian being in buffalo during the exclusive cu podcast patreon uh podcast that's right so check that out about physical activity patreon.com slash cu podcast and i talked about how i got sucked into a pay to win app called a total battle and it was no raid shadow legends that's for sure (laughs) but ian you didn't talk about your your, you watched star trek one and two as a double feature was the first time you saw star trek one and two no, no, definitely not. Oh. Actually, it was the first time I had seen the first one. It was not the first time I had seen Wrath of Khan. I've definitely seen Wrath of Khan a few times. Um, but yeah. I hadn't seen them in a while. Yeah. One of the other things we were doing home, uh, I've been doing at home, and Bonnie came and joined me for, was we went to a, a wedding up in Syracuse. And a um, friend of the podcast, Tom, came, uh, you know, wanted to get, is, went to the wedding as well. So he came into Buffalo a few days early. Um there's a lot of changing around flights and figuring out how we were going to get to Syracuse. Anyways, it ended up with him coming to Buffalo a couple of days early and he stayed with my parents and I, and I'm not exactly sure how we got on it. I think it was because my dad was talking about loving Star Trek um, and I was working. So Tom picked up, you know, the remote in the living room and was just scrolling through movies. Uh, I got off of work, had a beer, smoked a little, sat down, realized that there was nothing really going on. And Tom just happened to put the first movie on. So, you know, my dad walks in like 15 minutes in or 10 minutes in, sits down, watches the rest of the movie with us. My mom walks in a little bit, you know, towards the end of the first one. And we just all decide to put on Wrath of Khan, (laughs) watch Wrath of Khan and do a double feature. Um, Wrath of Khan is, I I think I might like it better now than I did when I was younger. I think that movie is fantastic. It's just so much fun. It's only only Uh, one I I bought on DVD back in the day. I bought Star Trek 2 on uh, DVD. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I, I I liked it when I was younger. Like I said, I like it more now. Um, it's just that's everything the first Star Trek movie should have been. Well, uh, Star Trek. It's what, it's, it's, what, it's what you I want. Out, it's not, like, what do you want out of your Star Trek? Like that's basically right. what it comes down to. I did not dislike the the first one though. Uh, I know I, I noticed online after you know watching it and then going to check what I was thinking about it with what other people thought about it. It's not well liked. Um, everyone says it's slow and I can agree that it was slow, but that was fine for me on a lazy Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon, you know, where nothing was really going on. Um, the clothes, the uniforms do look a little goofy. You know, as my dad says, it looks like everyone's walking around in pajamas. I don't, I didn't mind that, but, um, I didn't hate it though. I mean, I, again, I didn't hate it. Uh, and I thought it was a nice looking movie. It looks, it looks gorgeous. So, it's a great looking movie. So, the, so I, I I enjoyed my time. I can 
it's like it's like the Tron movies. There's no storyline there, but I like the way they look, so I watch them. You know, I, I could oh. I got through the first Star Trek just fine. Well, there is a story to it. It's just that yeah. it's edited so slowly that mm-hmm. you know there's a lot that you you could. So basically, okay, there, I think we talk, did I talk about this with you or someone else? There's a direct, someone else. There's a director's cut. That's that's what we watched. Oh, you watched the director's cut. So I've yeah. never seen the director's cut. I saw whatever was on TV, and it was just the regular one, which I'm like, wow, this is taking a while to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, so the director's cut is supposed to be a lot better. Uh, yeah, because great. It, like I it, said, that's what I watched. It's all I know. I mean, it's, it, that was my first time watching the first one. It trims down a lot of like the, the, the slow shots in the beginning of the end where it's like, yeah, we get it. This is a great model of the Enterprise. We don't have to look at it for <laughs> fucking forever. <laughs> And my at, dad kept joking about and that. And at the end, when, like, it, when it goes ready, he's like, we're going to see a lot of the Enterprise. When it goes into the V'ger, it's like, okay, we get it. It's in the V'ger. It's going. It's like, come on. Well, you can cut a minute here, 30 seconds here. But supposedly it puts back back in a few scenes, and it's supposed to be a much more enjoyable experience. Uh, and, yeah. and, they, and they redid the CG for the director's cut to match the 70s look, so it would, it would mesh. So I'm like, that's pretty cool. But they did that. The, uh, the, the original no, I'm glad I watched the, the right version then. I didn't know, you know, sometimes I don't like a director's cut. Uh, I think the alien director's cut is over long. Um, whereas I love the director's cut for aliens. You know, we've had this discussion before. Um, so, yeah, I'm always a little nervous when I watch a director's cut because you know, sometimes it's just a way to get people to buy the movie again and be like, there's extra scenes. But extra scenes is not always a good thing. Yeah, for Aliens overall, I like it. I think the stuff in the beginning with the columnist should have been cut down a little bit. Uh, but it's still, overall, it's a better experience. Just, just, just for, Especially for, the, obviously, the sentry guns. The fact that they cut that is criminal. Yeah, that sentry gun scene is like key to me. It's such an amazing scene when when they run out of the bullets and everything's creeping yes. in, and it's like it's the beginning of the end. The fact that you ever took that out of the movie is insane to me. It basically starts the end of the movie. The the, yep. the last third of the movie is that. Um. Anyway, anyway. So oh, that's funny. So yeah, I think I told you I, I watched like all I've watched now. Rewatched Star Trek one through four. I think that was two months ago, and I really only liked I liked one overall. Obviously, two is the best. I hate three with a passion so much. I wrote about it on on my Patreon, uh, like two years ago when I first saw it. Uh, and four four was like watching a TV movie, and I understand why people like it, but I think it's overly goofy and it's just it, it's just cheap as fuck. See, I think my dad said he liked the third one, but I can't remember exactly now what his opinion was. We talked about it briefly at the end of watching Wrath of Khan. Uh, Three, I think I've seen, but like when I was real, real young and same with four. Khan, you know, last time I saw that was probably my late teens, early 20s. But Um, the Trekkers, Trekkers like the third one overall. They like two, three and four. It's like a trilogy, I guess. They like that. And then five is supposed to be abysmal. And six is a good send off. That should have been the send off. So there you go. Um so I had I had sauce with Frank on Sunday, and so his buddy Phil was in town. Phil from Louisiana, overall good guy, very boisterous Cajun guy. Um, used used to play football for LSU way back in the day. I'm guessing the 70s because they're both you know these guys these are guys are like in their seven early 70s. Frank and this guy, right? Um, so we're talking about like 50 fucking years ago. Holy shit, it was like 1970 over 50 years ago. So Frank's decided to make make meat sauce. Instead of doing like the, the regular barbecue because Phil can't get, you know, Italian cooking like that. He lives in Florida now, Phil. And uh, so so he made the meat sauce. He made meatballs. Frank's meatballs are cute because they're, they're too small. They're like really small ones. He makes tiny ones? They're like small ones. And like, like it's the one thing like they, they taste good. But for some reason, he's afraid of making bigger meatballs because they always break up 
in the sauce when he makes it. And I tell you, Frank, you got to make sure that you have the proper ratio of egg and breadcrumbs to it. Yeah, you got to have a binder. You have to have a binder, but he doesn't like putting them in the oven at all. I like to put them in the oven for a little bit just to make sure that when they don't get dropped in raw, that they don't fall apart. It's it's a good fail safe. He doesn't like oh, doing yeah, if that. You, even if you don't uh, have to cook them all the way through in the oven, but put them in the oven, you know, maybe at 400 and get like a little coating on the outside and then drop yeah, them in the sauce. Less than 10 minutes, but that's fine. Because uh, yeah. like, yes, you are supposed to pan sear them at least. Either way, Frank's, Frank's afraid of that because one time he did it and it was a bullion A sauce where it was like, you're basically eating meat in the like I know meat sauce, but like it was so thick that when you were done eating that plate, you felt like you wanted to die. It was like you ate eight <laughs> pounds of meat in the sauce. So he's afraid. But anyway, but he does sausage great. He throws in lamb. Uh, he throws in rib meat. He didn't. I've do, had his sauce before. It's, it's amazing. Insane. Uh, he he did not do. Um, it was a little tangier this time. We we discovered, and I'm not sure why, but that's just, it was fine still. Um, and he did not do brajol though, which is fine. I said it's fine, Frank. And he made he made uh, raviolis. He always likes to sell in town. Oh. You know, cheese raviolis. So, so there was like I bought a I brought a bottle of wine, and they must have had him, Phil, uh, Frank, Phil, and his other friend Greg, who was super quiet, very nice guy, ex Navy guy, uh, all eating, and they must have both consumed at least three bottles of wine, mostly between Frank and Phil. And Frank and Frank gets buzzed really easily. He's a lightweight. So, so Phil starts some. I don't know how it turned, but I, but 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 Phil likes the women. We all like, the, I guess, the women. Uh, talk, but somehow Phil started turning to like conquests of, of 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 yesteryear, and stuff that he used to do in like the even the two thousands, the nineties, the eighties, the seventies, and it was it, it got uncomfortable uh, because because Frank you know Frank he's you know we we, we all like talking ladies, about man. ladies the past but like Frank and, and and me we don't like get into gory details of 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 our things. I don't. No, I hate I, that shit. I, I have no. There's no reason to talk about it. Yes, but some people like to do it as like a way of a male bonding. I don't know. He was really drunk, but Phil started getting to the details of like the orgies he used to have in the seventies, uh, mm. like 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 in college and and a a Greek woman named Octavia and like all and like getting into oh yeah oh no, well usually if another guy's there but you know it was a couple of and like getting these details and Frank started freaking out. And it was hysterical because Frank was like, no, just stop now. It was like out of a movie. And so then Phil knew that it was bothering Frank. So he started doing so he it just more kept going. and it was a cycle. I'm laughing my ass off. Like I, like, I wish I could, could have filmed it because it was hysterical and they got going. And I guess, I guess Frank and Phil never got into detail about the stuff ever. They'd known each other for like 30 years at sure. least. And it was just really funny. And so it was so boisterous. So I got a headache because Frank is loud. Phil is somehow louder because he's a bigger guy. He's got a voice like this, occasion type of voice. And I had a fucking headache, but it was so fun. And when Frank like couldn't control Phil, because Phil was like, Frank, we got to go out. We got to get some women. Let's go out. It's like, and Frank's like, no, it's eight o'clock on a Sunday. I'm not going out. I'm in. <laughs> What do you do? Like Frank, Frank has a thing where like he can get going and up. Like you hit a point where even if you start to kid with them, he takes everything seriously. And that was right. the point. And like, it was hysterical. And I said to Frank, Frank, you see how you're feeling towards Phil. Now, you know what I feel like a lot of times when I try to control you when you're drunk and how right. I, I can't, you know, I, I, I have to like maneuver you into a, 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 a sense of sanity, you know? So it, it was funny. That's all. 
It was That's fun. amusing. What was bad, though, was Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon trailer. Oh, uh, boy. So quick. I Holy have this shit. pulled up real quick, all right? It's... It's... And... Uh, yeah. I just... You know, my feelings can be, well, partially summed up by this comment. <clears throat> Where's this comment from? Uh, it's uh, underneath the YouTube video. Okay. Uh, actually, it doesn't sum me up, but this is... I, this looks insane. It's like they mixed Dungeons and Dragons, Underdark, Star Wars, Dune, John Carter of Mars, Sinbad, Fire and Ice, and Warhammer 40k all together. I'm actually excited for this. That's exactly why it looks miserable. There's no, like, it's just everything. Uh, there's another comment that's great that also, uh, this one more sarcastic. I always wondered what it would look like if every single sci-fi and fantasy genre was combined into one production. Like, I have no idea what he's doing, so, and it looks exactly like a Zack Snyder movie. Yes, and I just the, don't like the look. The of trailer's like three forty-two, and most of it's slow motion. Yep. So you get slow motion, you get some beautiful shots that look good. Obviously, a lot of it's CG created, but then right. it's like, well, you get as little dialogue as possible, and except except for uh, what's his name narrating it, uh, that's in it, uh, fucking Odin. <laughs> Odin after God, I can't think this morning. So it's a it's a Netflix. Dual movie, two parts. So Zack Snyder wanted to, he, I think he pitched a Star Wars film that was turned down. Uh, because why would you let Zack Snyder direct a Star Wars film? So Absolutely this is his not. his Star Wars is this. It's a calling in the edge of the galaxy. finds itself threatened by the armies of the tyrannical regent Balisarius. And I think I think it's actually called Imperium, like the group. So it's like, this is the... Yeah, it's, that's where everyone's saying uh, the Warhammer thing. Oh, God. Oh. So I'm not saying this won't be a good movie. I'm just, I, I, until I until I somehow see this, because I want to see just how. And it's supposed to be only PG-13, by the way. So, there, but there will be an R-rated version. But I will say this: hmm. Netflix threw a ton of money at this. I don't right. think you're going to have people sign up to Netflix to see this. No, that and but, that's where this goes to. It's like this would not have gotten, uh, you know, Zack Snyder's Star Wars would not have turned a profit in the theater. Um, so. You put this on Netflix to try to try to get a buzz, and it's it's got a little bit of buzz to it, but I just think it's at some point you gotta be like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Well, yeah, I mean, and it, it's another I think instance of um people listening to uh, extremely loud vocal minorities too much mm -hmm. because overall his movies are panned, and they don't ever really seem to be particularly good for the studios, yet they keep cranking this shit out because there there is an oversized voice associated to Zack Snyder fans. And yeah, I think they're going to fucking, they're, they're going to, um, they're going to lose the shirt off their back on this one. I mean, they're not going to go out of business, of course, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to return the profits that they're expecting. There's like a giant Eagle in this trailer. I've rewatched yeah. it. Like what, what is hot? Like, yeah. What genre is this? It's all over the fucking place. It's the not like there is no genre. <laughs> it's just, it's, oh, like, it's Zack Snyder. That's the job. It's not. It's not sci-fi. Then it's fantasy. It, it's more Star Wars than Star Trek, obviously. But Correct. It's, it's mixing that's in. What, that's what I took from it. It's mixing in like demon shit. But then there's like people in a desert, and then on a horse on horseback. Like what the fuck? Like yeah, okay. It's always interesting. Like this is play, play, take place in our galaxy, so it's humans that go out to here because that's what's we'll get into a you know a game review in a bit that takes that stance. Uh, but whatever. So I just thought I'd bring it up. We all love to talk about Zack Snyder. It's the one. It's our bread and butter here. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, we will talk about wrestling a little bit. There was there was bad news. A couple a couple of deaths, unfortunately, in the wrestling community. Uh, the uh, the first one was was uh, uh, Terry Funk passed away, age seventy nine. Uh, Terry Funk was you know old school wrestler, always did uh, good work as far as I knew. You know he he was uh, bigger in the eighties. When I saw him, by the time I saw him in WWF, and that was at uh, mid to late eighties. I think you know he he wasn't in WWF ever like a big big draw. But obviously, before that wrestling NWA stuff, Dusty Rhodes, obviously he was huge. And then when um, was, I saw him many times in ECW. EC, obviously, ECW, uh, WC, uh, uh, I mean, even at that age, though, he was just a, you know, and from from all accounts, uh, you know, consummate wrestler. You oh, know, yeah. uh, he was great. You know, he showed up, he did his job, technically sound, willing to take bumps, willing to put people over. Yes. I always enjoyed seeing Terry Funk, especially live. He he brought a, a bit of a. Brought a bit of electricity with him, like like, uh, like a good, a real grit to a wrestler, like like a yes. real like like taking this seriously, which is obviously missing somewhat in, in in a lot of today's where it's like, yeah, you can't picture that guy beating someone up, <laughs> like like that's that's the problem. Sure. Some of the wrestlers are like, eh, it's a little bit too too play acting versus showing yourselves as like a real fighter. Uh, but anyway, so that was and well, it had said that he passed away. I, I got to tell you, um, for some for him generation, that's a good run. Right. A wrestler of his generation who did what he did, making it to 79. I think it's probably safe to say that Terry Funk had a fulfilling life. Yes. You know, Um, I I don't. There's always sadness to me when a a wrestler passes away because so many of them and we're going to get to it, go way too soon, way too young. They they break their body for the industry and it takes them early. Um, It's. How do I say it? It's not nice that Terry died. It's just nice that a wrestler passed away after having what seemed to be a full and long career. Yep. Yeah. So um, he didn't get trapped, obviously, in drugs and alcohol like a lot of those guys did that were big in like the 70s, 80s into the early 90s. Uh, but the, the other uh, news was what hit people uh, hard uh, because Bray Wyatt, uh, Wyndham Rotunda, died suddenly age 36. And yeah. just like... It's just a just a tragedy because probably the most unique wrestler you can probably say of the past yep. 15 or so years um, with his characters. You may not like some of the stuff that he did with like the skits and the TV stuff and the characters, but at least it was unique and it tried something different. He always um, tried something different. And yeah. I think he was extraordinarily great, uh, you know, in promos um, yes. and on TV. Embodied the character. Like, yeah, whether you loved or hated some of the character, you know, work he did, it was always good. It was always high caliber. He always put his all into it. Uh, I thought he was an extremely solid wrestler, mm-hmm. uh, and I know he did get the championship, but I still feel like he was kind of underused. He, he was in the WWE. He was, you know, kind of the definition of a guy that just they never figured out what they wanted to do with like a like a Ziggler sort of guy. Sure. Uh, I mean, they gave him the, the freedom to do all stuff in the last years and with the demon stuff. Um, but yeah, he had obviously a lot more to go. 
uh, only 36. Like he's just getting into your stride. Wrestlers nowadays are peaking a lot older. They're yeah, peaking. They they're peaking mid to late 30s or even the 40s. They're starting to peak. Wrestlers are wrestling a lot longer nowadays. They're wrestling into their 50s. They're taking care of their bodies. They can do that. I was going to say, just yep. it's, it, the sport has, despite all the shit I would say about it, it has gotten healthier from that perspective. Yes. Yes, it absolutely has. Wrestlers are, are having longer careers. AJ Styles, you can probably say, still somewhat in his prime. And he's like mid 40s, you know, like right. 46. And so, like, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, it's, it's rough. Uh, he, he got, so basically the, the family came out and said what happened. So he had he had gotten COVID uh, earlier in the year, which exacerbated a heart issue. He had a congenital heart issue, and then was recovering and set to come back. And then something happened, and he had a heart attack, and that was basically it. And then he's gone. And I feel bad for him and his family. Um, he was married first time that he married. I didn't know that he married uh, JoJo, uh, the the, uh, the backstage uh, tiny, the tiny backstage announcer used to be on TV. Everyone loved. Oh, JoJo. I had no idea they got married. Yeah, and had a family, and it's just like God. It's just ugh, just a tragedy. Yeah, that's so, very, very sad. Uh, in, other, in other news, uh, AEW is a mess now. They had it, they had the most successful, literally the the biggest night in pro wrestling ever at Wembley Stadium. The the confirmed biggest paid audience, not the fake WrestleMania three ninety thousand number or the WrestleMania. They try to say there was a hundred thousand people at WrestleMania. One of the WrestleManias, the past five or so goes whatever. Uh, 81,000 people at Wembley Stadium for AEW uh, all in and uh seemed like a pretty good card pretty good and then all now we all remember it as the as the what CM Punk getting fired like that's what transpired getting fired from that event and it's just oh my god this fucking guy um and people are going yeah, yeah the fact uh, that they brought him back i mean you you he's can a see draw? coming from a mile away he is a draw he's a big draw you can't deny that. Why? People like him. But he's, why. It's, he's, he sells merchandise. People watch him. I watched his return. It was I exciting. feel like he's incredibly unlikable. I, I just, I, oh, I, yeah. That's what's I, coming I have out no more idea more. why people like him. So, so, so basically what happened was this real quick. We don't talk about wrestling for a lot, but real quick. So there's a, 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 a younger wrestler, Jack Perry, who's actually Luke Perry's son, named Jungle Boy, who's now a heel. And does pretty good, pretty good wrestler for his age. He's younger. He's finally he's even 30 yet. Um, it's probably like 26 or 27, something like that. So um, he wanted to do a spot on a TV uh, collision, which is basically a show they created for CM Punk to be centered around because he can't get along with some of the other wrestlers in the All Elite. So he's, he wasn't on the Wednesday Dynamite show anymore. He was only on Saturday, believe it or not. Um, oh. so, so they made this show to separate out some of the people, which is insane mm-hmm. to think about. Which which is a bad manage, management decision, but that's yeah, that's awful. Of, like we're awful. gonna keep uh, you around and we're gonna coddle you instead of just getting rid of you. It, it's ridiculous. Or at least taking care of the situation and making sure people do good business and be professionals together because right. you're wrestlers. Like come on. Um. So uh. So so Jack wanted to do Jack Perry wanted to do a spot with Real Glass and he was told supposedly told no by management, told no by Sh- Tony Schiavone, and then basically they said to CM Punk, "Well, you're the old redhead here. You go tell him no. Maybe he'll take it better from you." So he told them no, and supposedly that news somehow got out that that happened. So then fast forward to this event. He's in the zero-hour event, Jack Perry, against a guy named Hook for the, for the FTW championship, the old ECW fuck the world Taz thing. And they bring out a limo, which has a real glass windshield. And so Jack Perry taps it and says, it's real glass, cry me a river, as a shot either against CM Punk and or management telling him that. So that led to this. 
this is news reports that have come out, and supposedly this is all on video. And this will this may come out if this ever was a lawsuit from CM Punk against that. But supposedly, um, Jack Perry comes back. He actually did get treatment for he got back by dropped onto the windshield and did get cuts on his arm. So it is dangerous using real glass. It, you should not do that overall. Uh, so what happened to Goldberg in WCW? Fucking derailed his whole push and put it, putting his arm through a fucking windshield. Remember that? It was oh, awful. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, in like early '99, whenever that was. Um, so. So Jack Perry comes out the curtain, and of course CM Punk's match with with Samoa Joe is the first one on the actual pay per view event coming next. So, so supposedly uh, CM Punk goes up to Jack Perry says, "You got a problem with me?" And Perry tried to say either yeah, either yes, I do have a problem, or I was just trying to get heel heat, whatever. And then CM Punk supposedly says, "You know, I can beat the shit out of you." And then there's either were punches thrown. He definitely got Jack Perry in a front face locker or guillotine choke. Samoa Joe had to help break it up. And basically Jesus. tell Punk we're doing this match because CM Punk didn't want to wrestle anymore and so I want to say I quit. And supposedly he lunged at Tony Khan, like the, the guy who runs the company, and like either threatened him or intimidated him. And this was, there were workers there and monitors got flipped over. It was a fucking mess, supposedly. Like just this is the start of the biggest pay per view event ever in terms of attendance. Like this is this is a, a mess. So they investigated the whole week and decided to fire him with cause. Tony Khan came out with a statement saying, "I feared for my safety and the safety of others in the back." And it's just like, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> that's I mean, a, that's a TLDR on this situation. I mean, I, I don't like punk, but also you know, you you get what you you asked for. I mean, you kept dancing around with this guy thinking it was just going to get better. You couldn't say no to the money. Couldn't say no to the draw. And he just keeps fucking burning you. I, I don't know that punk will ever work again. I but don't I know. Wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, I he, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he can get hired maybe in Japan. Uh, yeah. T- TNA would take him in a bit. I don't think WWE will. I just don't think his them. attitude would go over in Japan. <sighs> They're not going to fucking take that shit. It's fine. Oh. It's fine as a as a as a gimmick, but behind the scenes, I don't think there's any room for that over there. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know well, the business. I can likely see a lawsuit. He's going to say you had no right to fire me, and obviously they're going to say, "Well, we got video of you threatening people." I just picture Samojo. It's funny because Samojo had to be the adult in the room and basically probably separate everyone and say, uh, "Punk, we're doing the fucking match. Let's go do it." We're 80, right. 81,000 people. We're going to do the match. I'll drag you to the fucking ring by your hair. I can picture him saying, I want to picture that's what Joe said. Because when right. Joe came out, he you can kind of tell from a couple of manuals, he was not in the best of mood. Like, obviously, his character is gruff and tough. But like looking back, it's like, okay. A little he, more he, realism. He's, a little, it, he's a little fucking frustrated. Right. You can tell like <laughs> I had to act as a babysitter. So who doesn't love Samoa Joe? He's like one of my I, favorite wrestlers. Yeah, we we talked about that the other day. I, I like him as a wrestler, but I you know, and I've seen again, I've seen him live a few times back in his ROH days. And uh good wrestler, fun to watch, you know, maybe not in my top five, but um also seems like a pretty good dude. Hey, he came into our NES marathon chat way back. Remember that? We didn't think it was real and he was. Holy shit, that's right. Remember? It was like two thousand yeah, like sixteen or fifteen, it was like way back. It's like, holy shit, Samoa Joe's in the chat? And he was like, yep, that's me. I was like, well, yeah, and it was real because I, he promoted it on his Twitter. Oh, that's right. He retweeted so, it or something right. like that. So you can, you can say we're friends with Samoa Joe. <laughs> you can't, but okay. <laughs> Samoa Joe, I'll, I'll have a sandwich you if I have a chance. I'll buy you a sandwich. Uh, uh, move, moving yeah, on. Go for it. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I mean, I don't have much to say about this because we've talked about this a billion times. But again, yet another digital storefront is closing down. Um, the 360 store. Uh, we'll close July 2024. 
you know, as they say, of course, you can keep playing your old games. It's depressing. I hate seeing it. What more can I say? This is where it's going. It's awful for game preservation. Uh, it's awful for customers because even though they say you can keep playing them, we're like, this is like the halfway point or the three quarters point to them just shutting it down entirely. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I, I was, if you, if you put a gun in my head, I would have told you it was shut, shut down. It's going to be, it's going to be when it closes almost 19 years uh, of it being around. So that's right. like, Jesus, obviously, obviously the, the Wii wasn't 19 years. The Wii U is not going to be 19, like, like nothing. This is the first frontier of that with the original Xbox and obviously the 360 blew it up bigger than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like, I like that they're giving you a lot of heads up. I mean, you can, they're going to close yeah, it. 2024, I mean, a July, full year almost. Yeah, July 2024. So, like, that's almost a full year. Um, so, uh, stop able to purchase new games, DLC, entertainment. Then the, the movies and TV app will no longer function on Xbox 360. I can picture a few people being pissed off about that. <laughs> that use it as their TV uh, well, sort of thing. Yeah. A funny, funny, quick side story. Um, you know, staying here with my parents while I'm in Buffalo. Um, you know, they watch a lot of streaming TV. They watch tons and tons of sci-fi and stuff like that. That's what they love. And um, I bought them a PlayStation 3 maybe eight, nine years ago. Um Christ could be 10 at this point, honestly. Um, if not more. Anyways, I bought it for them. One, because my dad wanted to get back into games. And that was my first way I tried to get him back into Skyrim. He eventually got into it heavily on the PC. I've mentioned that on here before. Um, and then they have an old flat screen. They had an old flat screen Panasonic. Perfectly good TV, still worked. But uh, it wasn't a smart TV. It like from the last generation before they, you know, started to have streaming apps on them and stuff. And uh, the Hulu app on the PS3 no longer works. You can't add any more apps. You know, the Amazon Prime and the Netflix app, you know, miraculously still work. But I can't imagine they're going to for much longer. So long story short, it culminates in them getting a new TV yesterday. Because they are kind of that person that you, you're you referencing, you know. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't ever upgrade how they get their streaming stuff until they can't do it anymore. Yeah. If it works, it's fine, you know. And uh, at, at some point, it does stop. There, there's solutions, but yes, it is a pain. I mean, this is the one good news. This is why this is like, I actually applaud Microsoft for this. Because it sounds like their infrastructure is probably the best out of everyone. In terms of, in terms of the obviously, Nintendo is like dead last when it comes to stuff. They're trying sure. to play catch up. Uh, at the question on the FAQ, what about multiplayer games via Xbox Network? Can I still play with friends? I said, yes, even after July 2024, you will still be able to play games to connect with friends through multiplayer on the games you purchased, as long as the publisher still supports the online servers. So mm. they have the infrastructure in place. But sure, it's nice that they're, they're, they're leaving the ability there. And you can still save your games and progress to, and progress to the cloud. And if you choose to continue any of those games, available games on Xbox One and Series XS, those, those cloud saves will transfer over. So, I mean, that's probably the best you're ever going to get. Yep, that's 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 it. Um, so speaking of Xbox and Microsoft, big 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 game Starfield that been in development forever. Um, so it comes out to everyone. It's an early access, and you can get it beforehand. But uh, tomorrow the sixth, it's out. I think everywhere. And obviously, there's tons of reviews after Starfield. And we know Ian and I both love our space exploration games, going way back. Uh, obviously, Ian loves No Man's Sky, which is now a totally different game, and just had a big update a week or two ago, right? That like you another get... big update. It's so, pretty much yearly in August that it gets a huge update that adds almost another game's worth of content to it. At this point, it, it's yeah. nuts. Lots of people want a sequel. 
It's like, uh, why? It, but it's at like, this what? point, I, I don't. I, I don't want a sequel. I like the way it looks, uh, and I, it's just... <laughs> you don't need I, a sequel. Of, yeah, you don't. You don't. I mean, if you made a sequel to it, and I could see them doing it eventually, but I think they will probably wait one more generation until they do um, to make it a meaningful update because whatever they re-release as a sequel is going to have a quarter of the content that their current no man's sky game has they've almost kind of worked themselves against uh, into a corner yeah. here because a sequel is going to be i don't know it's going to land with a thud compared to what's already there now what's amazing is that you have so much so much content but it's not a true games as a service because you're not paying a subscription to get these updates, right? No, so, they, no, they're free updates. That's what's amazing. So the game is vastly, radically different from when you, it started, right? There's so much more content and things to do, like the pirate ships and, and capital ships and things like that. They just introduced uh, freighter battles and stuff like yeah. that. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy now. And the, and the game's been out for what five, six years at this point? Twenty sixteen. Seven years. It's been here for seven years. Seven years, and they haven't asked you for another dime. So obviously they still... Well, and, and, and I mean, not to get into it, of course, the game released in an abysmal state, but I mean, the self-flagellation is over now. You guys have made up for it. It's done. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> like, the point is... You've given us the game that we wanted, and then some. The point is, there's a significant amount of resources put it into this game over the past several years, and you buy it once. Right. Still. That's unheard yep. of in this day and age. You buy, you buy it brand new now, you, you are getting yes. just... An absolutely insane. If, game. I, if I bought it the past three, four years, I had no idea about the disastrous start. Like you, you it would be invisible to you, you know, because right. the game would be entirely different. So, with that said, Starfield, GameSpot comes out with the review, and there's got it's gotten like a lot of good reviews, nine out of ten, some ten out of tens. And so, I, I went to the the, the uh, GameSpot review here by Michael Higham or Higham, mm-hmm. and who basically says the game is a mile wide and an inch deep, and that was my that's what I was afraid of. Yep, my, that's my, kind of been uh, the problem with a lot of Bethesda stuff, but I'm okay with it gen- generally. My issue with this is that space seems to be, again, I haven't space. played it, space seems to be a second, a secondary thought. It literally seems to be an aesthetic, not integral to the game. And the main reason why, and I'm literally, I went to go check the name, uh, the price of No Man's Sky currently. It's 60 bucks, but it's constantly on sale for like 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm watching what is my favorite part of No Man's Sky in this trailer, which is you can get in your ship, take off, fly into space, and then fly to the next planet. The tra- and, and from day one, that was always a satisfying and well done part of the game. That's not in Starfield in any way, shape, or form. You can fly around in space for space battles, but there is no actual exploration of space. There's no downtime in space. There's no calm flying around and enjoying the sights in space. It's just fucking fast travel. It's like, yes. It's like space is used as just a a void that you fast track around with every once in a while, yeah, there'll be a space battle we put somewhere. But it's not a connected universe. Like, it's not right. like going back to Privateer and Privateer 2. Privateer 2 is still one of my favorite games ever. Is that you have your star map and you have your planets. And yes, there's only, I don't know, 30 planets in that game instead of what is this, a thousand. But you have to travel to get to those planets. You have to take the effort to get to those planets through, uh, like, they're like warm wormhole portals that you have, like, um, stopways across, right? So, say to get to this planet, there's five. You you go through like a like a like a like a ring wormhole, then you stop. You have to travel 
my thruster engine to the next one and get through. So it gives you your waypoints to get to the way. You know what I mean? They're like stops. Right. So in between yeah. those stops, though, things can happen. In between those stops, you can get uh, an emergency call for help or a new mission on your computer. Or you can get waylaid by pirates if you're carrying cargo. Uh, the space police, if they, if they scan your vessel and see you're transporting uh, illegal goods, they can attack you. So the point is this, is that it feels like you're actually in space because you have to travel from one to another. You have to, you have to take the, the, make the decision, do I want to risk traveling to this planet that's harder to get to? I may be attacked, and my cargo that I you know, ended up spending money on, I might get fucked. You know what I mean? Like You have to make these decisions that you would if you were traveling in space. This game, I watched like an hour, hour and a half on Twitch. I forget the streamer's name. I, I give you credit. I apologize. Big, big Twitch streamer. I watched them play the game for an hour and a half, and I don't think I saw them travel through space in an hour and a half. It was like, well, I'm going to talk to people uh, on this space station, but I'll just click, and I'll be in a, I'll be in a city somewhere else in- instantly. And I'm like, holy shit, what game is this? This is not, to me, a space exploration game at all anymore. It's a no, pe- it's weird. It's a Bethesda game where, you know, Bethesda games with their big open worlds, uh, you know, people always talk about, like, you can start at one point of the world and fucking hike and walk all the way to the other. Like, you know, it's an open world that's connected and real and explorable. Sure. Um, no Man's Sky, there is no way to do that. You constantly have to use fast travel. And I feel like that's going to really, really take you out of the world. Yes. Um, and the- while you're talking about it, I looked at this other No Man's Sky uh, seventh anniversary trailer um and it's a minute and 56 uh seconds long and a solid minute and a half of that is literally them just listing every single notable update they've made to the game and update. here we are talking about uh starfield and i just i'm gonna start a new no man's sky game there's so much yeah. shit that i didn't even realize i missed yeah so tons of polish in this game obviously in starfield you can like create your own resource gathering shit on like planets and things like that it's like that's great but if i'm not getting out of my space game like in space like that should be the bread and butter of the game then i'm right. not interested anymore and that's what i, I got out of it when i was watching it's like why am i why am i now just going from place to place instantly talking to people and fetch uh, you know fetch quests when like i should be doing shit in space like that should be the main thrust of the game. Yeah, go on down on planets and have fun and do things. But like, if I have to get to one place to another, that should not be instant. I don't. I'm not saying it should take like 12 hours, but maybe it takes 15 minutes. No, for, it should for, be the No Man's Sky model, uh, or 10 I mean, minutes. That's, that's what it should be. I mean, it should be the No Man's Sky model. And I think that's what it comes down to, though. Looking at Starfield, I think there are two people, uh, two kinds of people. There are the people who are going to be fine with another Fallout or Skyrim that is you know space themed space and if that's what they want that's fine i'm sure it's going to deliver on that front but if you were hoping for something like a skyrim or a fallout that mixed itself with no man's sky you're not getting it sure uh real quick you want to talk about armor core 6 uh yeah just real quick uh i've been waiting for that game to come out for about 10 years uh finally did i downloaded it i've played uh, probably about six hours of it, and I fucking love everything about it. It is Armored Core through and through. Um, some of the boss battles definitely feel a little bit more like a Demon Souls, Dark Souls kind of thing. But 
there were always entries in the uh, Armored Core games like uh, Victory Day and uh, For Answer, you know, that introduced larger, you know, bosses and battles and things like that. Uh, anyone who was worried that they weren't going to get Armored Core after years and years of Souls-like games from From, uh, no, they delivered. And it's gorgeous. It controls like a freaking dream. Um, it, it's fantastic. And I, I really can't recommend it enough as long as it's the type of game for you. I, I find it to be one of the easier entries to get into. I don't think it would be, I don't think it'd be too dissuading for new players, but it doesn't eliminate anything that made the game great. Um, if you are the type of person who likes to, you know, sit in the garage like some people do in, you know, Gran Turismo and tinker with your robot and min-max its weight and its attack power and speed, uh, you can do that. Um, there are definitely missions where if you just try to keep using your same core layout, uh, you're going to get your ass kicked. There's a lot of going back to the garage and being like, okay, it's kind of like solving a puzzle. You know, you see the layout of the level and it's like, well, what is the best way for me to equip my mech or my core? to get through it and it to me that's extraordinarily satisfying when you finally land on the build that makes everything smoother so that's the game spot review 8.8 out of 10 (laughs) uh i mean i i to me it's you know a nine five ten i mean it's everything i game of the year um it probably mine yes certainly not every i mean there's a lot of stuff that is going to go up against it um but it's it is humorous to me that everyone thought well there was definitely a subset of people that thought starfield was going to come out and blow everything out of the water you know zelda and all that and um it's getting it it is it seems like the definition of a seven out of ten game and that's what it's getting across the board real real quick embracer closed a studio that was around for 30 years uh volition uh, worked on a couple of big franchises well one not that big anymore but it was uh red faction and then saints row um, right. So Embracer Last Row got shit on by pretty much everyone. Sure, but still uh, a big ass franchise. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Multiple I know. Games. I know. So, so Embracer obviously through a COVID uh, pandemic, they got infusion of funding, and it sounds like I'm looking at stuff where it's like, well, the, the Saudis uh, might be uh, pulling back on it. So they went up and tried to gobble up everything they could. And might have gone a little bit too far now because now it's like, well, things are happening, may not have the funding. So they're, they're not just doing that. They're laying off people at Gearbox. God, I know they bought the Gearbox. I can't, you can't even keep track of these conglomerates, it seems, right? It's tough. Um, yeah. So it's, it's rough. It sucks. Um, yeah. That's one thing you can say. When you have these giant conglomerates restructuring and everyone wants to run and, you know, obviously you want to blame the parent company. But, you know. Uh, these companies were sold, and the decision was made too, to sell them to a, to a company that can make these decisions. So it just sucks all the way around. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. Well, hopefully, Ultimate Nintendo will never close. Hopefully, we won't have to shutter hopefully. that. Hopefully, a conglomerate <laughs> won't, won't shutter Ultimate Nintendo.com, where you can find RBI baseball stickers, certain NES Super Nintendo guidebooks, uh, CU podcast enamel pins and stickers, and more. At ultimatenintendo.com. I'll be on Twitch every Wednesday night. Ian will not be there. Twitch.tv slash country code every Wednesday watching the greatest in 70s, 80s, and 90s commercials. And I'll be making another appearance at Retropalooza in Arlington, Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, area, September 16th and 17th. Come out and say hello to me in Texas. Maybe I'll try Whataburger again for the first time. Uh, and I am working... For the first time? Uh, yeah, I'll try it again for the first time. The first time I had it... Uh, you know, I was like, I'll try it again. I'll try Whataburger again. 
I, I, I do not like the burgers, but I find their space spicy ketchup to be uh, absolutely phenomenal. You're gonna say space ketchup? Uh, space <laughs> ketchup. I was yeah. space ketchup in Starfield. Uh, but I always go to Twisted Root, which is like a really nice burger joint. I think I always talk about that, the pickle bar. They have really, yeah, you talk really about it all burgers. the time. The pickle bar definitely uh, sounds good to me. I am a pickle fan. Really good burgers. Really good milkshakes, like real milkshakes. Uh, there, mm-hmm. so I'll be there. Uh, and I'm working on a Pat the NX Punk video, and obviously a certain N64 guidebook is crawling along. More closer than it was a month ago. Uh, tech writer is suing Apple for, for the Tetris movie. It's not a big thing. A Polygon article about it here from uh, Ali Welsh. They said they, the movie ripped off his Cold War thriller style book. Uh, who knows uh, what happened? All I know is... Oh, really? Ripped off a Cold War style book? That About their Tetris or, or, book. Yeah. Huh. So he did a, a book called the, uh, the Tetris Effect in 2016, and they're suing Apple... And he claims that he talked to some of the people that ended up making the movie. So, like, it could be something. I don't know. I don't know. Claimed that the CEO of the Tetris company, uh, Maya Rogers, and the screenwriter Noah Pink adapted his book without his consent. There you go. Nice civil suit. Nice hmm. civil suit. All I know is it looked ridiculous. And, and when I talked about it with Norm, it was, it was funny on the Not So Common podcast. How, how ridiculous it was. Uh, this could affect the industry, or will affect the industry. SAG AFTRA has voted to expand their, their strike to the game industry. This came from Eurogamer. Uh, sag after plans to send a strike authorization a vote for the video game industry after they failed to meet the needs of video game actors. Companies facing a possible strike include Activision, EA, Epic Games, Insomniac Games, Take-Two, and WB. So that means if you're a sag after actor working on these games, uh, not for long. So those big names won't be, won't be uh, voicing uh, this stuff. So... Uh, strike while the iron is hard. We might as well iron out all this shit all at once. Because that's basically what yeah. it's come down to. And I hear that even there are, there's murmurs of strikes ha- uh, might be happening with um, with uh, artists, like CG artists in movies. Like there's like a lot of stuff is happening all at once. So. It's, it, it's, it's good. I mean, I was talking about this with my dad the other day, you know, just sitting around. And yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, this is a... Uh, is the word inflection existential? I don't, I don't know. It's it's a flashpoint. I mean, this is this is an incredibly important strike with a lot at stake. Yes. Uh, be, as as we enter, you know, kind of a turning point with it with technology. Yeah, with this AI bullshit. I, I, I talked about about it on our exclusive podcast about AI responses from people trying to get engagement, and the studios the studios obviously think that writers are replaceable. That you know you can get AI to write a, a rough draft and have real writers clean it up. Yeah, good fucking luck. And I like that the actors are saying, you know, we're not, we would never act in something that's written by AI. Go fuck yourself. Right. Uh, go fuck yeah. yourself. A- AI is a, a mediocrity of a like a blender of mediocrity. AI, that's what it is. Yeah, you're gonna get King. you're gonna get something that resent. It's gonna be that fucking uh, that paste you eat. Go back to aliens. The protein paste you eat in, in the in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. it, it, it seems like it's food <laughs> and it gives you sustenance, but I don't want to actually eat this shit. Like I'm just doing it because I can. Do they eat protein paste? An alien? I actually or... don't recall. I think they might have had some <laughs> sort of real food. There is there in the first Alien. There is definitely what looks like a Tupperware container that is used to contain cereal. Oh, okay. but I don't know if it's if it has cereal in it. But I, every time I see it, I go. That used to sit on top of my friend's refrigerator, and yes. it's always full of Fruit Loops. Yeah, so a little circular thing, a little color like orange or yeah. a green thing, and yeah, it's like in the future we still have the Tupperwares from the seventies and eighties. It's amazing how that well, works. Well, the out. Alien uh, mug, I think, was a Tupperware mug too, um, and I always try to find a set funny. of them. Or yeah. or, or, Amper, or Amperu's milk thing 
or blue milk uh, pitcher. It's like, oh, my mom probably had that pitcher. You know? <laughs> like, I think it's funny. I love I love movies like that. Um, so real quick, uh, Charles uh, Martinet was uh, was it was announced Nintendo, uh, for, and you know why now? About a week or two ago, Charles Martinet would no longer be voicing Mario going forward. Will still be will still be an ambassador for Nintendo. The guy's obviously a bit older. He's been doing it for God thirty years now, starting with Mario teaches typing. I think that was the first time you heard him on the really on the I didn't know it was on that the on the CD Crazy. version or the disc version of his voice. Probably just a CD one. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. He started before uh, Mario sixty four, uh, I believe. Someone's going to crucify me if I got that wrong. So we're talking like thirty years of voicing this character, um, right? And obviously he had a, a cute little cameo as Jumpman in the in the Super Mario Brothers movie. So the, the reason they did that is because Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Um, <laughs> they had to make sure that people knew that you know the, the voice you hear in that is not Charles Martinet. Um, and so that came out as a direct, a fifteen minute direct, and there's a trailer. Uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder looks interesting, and obviously it's getting harder and harder. It's getting harder and harder to reinvent the wheel. For a side-scrolling Mario experience, but a power-up based side-scrolling experience, yeah, yes, it is. And but this is interesting because now you have power-ups that affect like the backgrounds and like right. your environment. And I guess that's the natural progression. Where like I said to Ian on the phone, uh, this is perfect, Ian, because this is an acid trip. Uh, this yeah, game, it sure certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the Flower Kingdom, not the Mushroom Kingdom. It's a little bit of a change there, um, and obviously you still have like Goombas and, and enemies and to partake of. Um, and you have, I think it's up to like eight playable characters, maybe more than that. I think it's all right. Um, eight. there's eight playable characters, Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, Daisy, Toad, Toadette, Nabbit, and Yoshi. Um, I don't know how many players can play at one time at one time. Um, sure. Um, and then you have obviously a bunch of new power-ups. Um, you, you have, you have one that turns you like into the floating balloon, like it was in Super Mario world. I saw that one. But really, the power-ups changing the environments, that's what's interesting. Like, the pipes changing shapes, things like that. The water bursting out of things. Um, it, it seems like that you can really let loose now and have some more creative things. Uh, one calls up, like, a stampede of the, of the animals that comes, and you have to deal with that, looking in the trailer. Yeah, it looks interesting. Like when, it does. When... And this gives me some... Um, some uh, this excites me a little bit. Uh, this is just coming from the Wikipedia article, but the team stated that during development, they were not given a deadline oh. to produce a prototype, which resulted in a longer development time than previous entries. During the initial planning of Super Mario Brothers Wonder, director Shiro Mori desired to recreate the sense of secrets and mystery that had been present in the original Super Mother- Mario Brothers series for a modern audience. Yeah. There's Could one... just be some corporate speak, but the fact that they weren't given a deadline to produce a prototype is always an exciting thing for me. Let your developers develop, take the time, and make something truly unique. Oh, no. I love all the new Super Mario Brothers games, but this to me is more exciting because this truly feels like a sequel to 2D Mario games. Yes. When I saw a new Super Mario Brothers, I was like, okay, it looks like it plays about the same. Like, what's, what's the fresh juice? On, in this besides yes you could be a cat mario like what is or, like, or, or, or you know there would be you know they ice flowers and stuff like that and it, like i said those games are good most of them are extremely solid the only one i don't like is new super mario brothers 2 for the 3ds i think it's fucking awful um but all the other ones new super mario brothers new super mario brothers u uh the deluxe version those are good games but again they do just feel like they're kind of retreading ground and after something like <laughs> mario maker came out 
they really kind of lose their uniqueness. I feel like we're not in solidarity. You're allowed to walk around. I, I can't get up around with my I'd microphone. I have to stretch. My back is killing me. Gotcha. Um, get that chiral gun on it. Yeah, this seems like this is actually a progression. Like IGN tweeted out, this seems like Super Mario Brothers 4 before everyone in the world pointed out, well, Super Mario World <laughs> no, was is, Super Mario Brothers 4. So this is kind of like Super Mario Brothers 5. Like this is like what this right. is a 2D game that that's doing something different than the one before largely. Um, and of course, everyone loves Elephant Mario. That's okay, like yeah. the big takeaway. And then poor Yoshi, the meme of Yoshi being sat on by Elephant Mario. Uh, his his expression either either it's it's either the, the expression subtly changes or in our head we're we're thinking it subtly changes because now you have a weight of like a seven hundred pound elephant on you poor Yoshi straining okay. like straining to jump when Elephant Mario is on your back uh, I think I think Yoshi should uh, all the Yoshi should, should strike for better benefits to be honest I think so too I think I think definitely that, health insurance I think they've been I think they've been going out I think they've, I think they've been overworked with them <laughs> agreed. Um, and then this is an interesting one. Okay, be careful what I say out there, audience. Switch Switch surpasses Wii sales in the United States. We know they surpassed the sales worldwide, but in the United States, it has sold more than the Wii, and that's pretty big. Because um, I mean, I think it's known that this has been a worldwide smash hit, and there are tons of markets that have. Um, you know, added to the sales of the Switch, but for it to kind of pass the Wii, um, just in the, in the North, density North in the U.S., whatever I should be saying, uh, is pretty incredible because everyone had a Wii in the U.S. I mean, you you couldn't go to a flea market without tripping over a fucking Wii for years. Yes, absolutely. So, which makes me, makes me be strange because I guess in five six years we'll start seeing a billion <laughs> switches and, and switch lights. Like how much I think like the demand for that will probably always be more the fact that it's a portable, you know, like that's always going to be a portable. You can it's easier to store away. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But it's almost 130 million switches and switch lights. That's incredible worldwide. That's 30 percent better than the Wii. It's just like it, it has a shot. It has a shot. 30 percent better than the Wii. That's nuts. Patman. It has a shot at the PS2, which we always thought there's no way nothing will ever hit the PS2. It has well, a shot. It, I mean, I don't I don't know that it will, but. I mean, we're not at a 10-year point with it yet. You know? That's I the mean, thing. They count every single sale. There's a lot that can trickle we're, down. I mean, there's there's a lot of sales that can still trickle in. We're six and a half years in. So, like, we got a good maybe year and a half, maybe two years. They'll still be selling switches when the new uh, successor comes out. So it has to get 25 more million to hit 155 million. Like, it's it'll be tough. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, like, the fact that it's going to be in striking distance is incredible for a console right. that came out before smartphone gaming, you know, before... We had all these other uh, entertainment mediums. Like, that's what's so incredible. Like, the saturation of, of entertainment now, there's so many things to distract you, and a console still might hit it. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, I agree. Ian. Sir. You know that um, I love following uh, influencers, especially in the retro gaming sphere. sphere. <laughs> yeah, uh, you love that. So I, I, saw, I saw this account that I follow uh, called, I think, I, I think it's, I think Grape Aid Fade. Uh, so they were responding uh, to an announcement <laughs> from Atari that I, I believe I don't want to I don't want to put words in Grape Aid Fade's mouth, but it said the Atari Twenty Hundred Plus is announced, and dare I say, looks good? Question yeah. mark. I mean, dare I say, with the question point? So, so question mark. And I trust Grape Aid Fade with, with for the retro game views. So the Twenty Six Hundred Plus was announced and got some buzz. 
got some buzz. Let me start this uh, one because you're going to start the other one here. I, I already I started it. I, I, I made the, uh, the, the, the quote. I, mean, that's, I have no problem with saying that. Not everything's a hit. Um, it was early and I saw it. And immediately, I think partially in my brain, I was confusing. You know, I, I was thinking that at this point, if someone's going to do something like that, it's going to be to improve upon what's out there which I guess is, you know, certainly not something I ever should have assumed from Atari. Um, I have no problem. If this was an FPGA console, which we'll get to, it's not. This was an FPGA console that did what it said it was going to do. Uh, yeah, I would stand by my statement. I, I, I would. I don't care if it's 129 bucks. I don't care if anyone thinks there's a market for it. For people who play Atari, I would still say, yeah, good job. I mean, that that's totally fine by me. Do it FPGA. Let it play 2600. Let it play 7,800 um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, probably an hour, even before Pat decided he was going to uh, rightfully rag on me. Just um, I didn't I do it publicly. Of, I don't I don't ever go after people's tweets for people I know. So I just I, I tweet I uh, message. I mean, you could have. I, it, it's, it's an incredibly non-important thing that would not have mattered. to me. <laughs> I just at, I was in, in I was in not shocked, but I was just like I was like aghast at Ian tweet. <laughs> well, I like I said, that. you you have to understand that I was I was very confused on it, and I was making some very big assumptions that I should not have made. Sure. Um, like I said, if it because in my mind, why would someone put something out that is going to suck or not improve on previous things? And here's my thing, and this is also why I think I got excited. I have experience with a prior attempt at doing something like this, which is the Retron seventy seven, and the Retron seventy seven is one of the most giant pieces of shit we've ever had at Luna to the point where we just don't we, we stop selling them almost immediately. Um, controllers were faulty. Units were faulty. But more importantly, the um, compatibility of the games was atrocious. Basically, my what we encountered was that most of the games that people wanted to play, and we can expand on this too, would not work or would not function properly and the reason why is because and i did not know this at the time the emulator that it's using uh, does not support i believe it's called bank switching which is a programming yes. trick that many of the better more memorable atari 2600 games especially from companies like activision use yeah. so even if the overall compatibility rate is relatively high for something like the hyperkin which i think was like i think you had told me it was like 75 or 80 yes. percent um the 20% of games that aren't working are the, probably among the ones that people want so, to work the most. So so the Retron 77 uh, uses, I guess it's one of the more popular ones or modern ones. I don't know. I'm not into the scene. It's called Stella. Stella! Stella was, Stella, Stella was kind of like INES. Stella! Or, uh, so, But Stella's always been around. It's been very popular. Yes. It's been like the only Atari 2600 emulator that anyone has really stuck with and put a lot of work into. So the good news we'll get into the good and bad news good and bad there's the bad news this atari 2600 plus is also using stella from from what i was told because right. the compatibility issues are exactly the fucking same here which uh, means and i'll just let me be clear here that means it's going to be shit and you well, should not buy it <laughs> well for the, the retron 77 has four and a half stars on amazon 
I think for most people, it, it should be okay. But yes, if you're a hardcore into, you have like your your the library of like the Activision games, like and like Star Wars arcade. Uh, yeah, the yeah. people who bought these at least at Luna yeah. were not hardcore. These were casual sure. players, and unfortunately, well, the games that casual players want to play don't work. But the compatibility of Stell is probably a lot better now than six years six years ago when this came out. That's the thing. Okay. So here's the good sure. news. So okay, let's break down what the twenty what the twenty six hundred plus has has first. So. Um, you get one controller, well, excuse me, one joystick. You get a four switcher that's a little bit compressed. Uh, the, one of the features is that um, widescreen mode is a feature. I don't know who would want to play Atari in widescreen mode, but it's an emulator. You can do it, whatever. Bad people. Uh, <laughs> enlarged, enlarged cartridge socket reduces sticking. Sometimes it is hard to get it out of the old Atari 600. You want to... And the Atari logo lights up when play, being played. I think the VCS did the same thing. Uh, the computer VCS. This is an. You are buying an Android box with an emulator. Yeah, that's in. all you're doing. That's what you are doing. Which is this? This is this is uh, the guts of this would be the same as getting a Retron seventy seven. Yep. And, and why is that problematic? This is why. This comes from Atari themselves, who was controlling the name. You would think that the namesake would go above and beyond a little bit, and they have exactly. They have it, yeah. and this is that's why. It. And that goes back to my initial my initial tweet. I just kind of assumed, and I never should have done it with Atari yes, or uh, one of these consoles, but I just assumed they would have done the work to make it the reference point for future. You and know, they to did get it right. This is not an F, like Ian said, it's not an FPGA. They didn't come up with their own emulator. They did the bare fucking minimum, which we'll get they into. They designed a nice case. Because uh, see, see, Ian is actually less cynical, I guess, than me, which is good. But I, when, I, for, when I first saw this, I said, what's fucked up about this? And I looked into it immediately. Because this is Atari, remember. This is Atari, yeah. who've, had, who've been disasters mostly the past 10 years uh, with this shit. With the NFTs, with the casino, with the crypto garbage, and now with overpriced uh, cartridges, uh, re-released car- cartridges that we'll get into. So you get the one controller. Remember, this costs almost double what the Retron 77 will get you yeah, for the same. 130 as opposed to, I think, 75, 70. Yeah, which is 75, which also has one joystick, which is actually a better joystick, Ian, because it has the curves in the end, so you can hold it easier. I do like that on the Retron joystick. Um, no, the Retron joystick looks nice. It's just yes, garbage system. And you get, this is, in, this is actually Los Cajones. You get a multi-cart with 10 games, all right? Adventure, combat, combat. Dodge them, Haunted House, Maze Craze, Missile Command, Real Sports Volleyball. They always like throwing that one in a later one that no one because actually had. Because it's good. It's yeah, a but, good but, game. But no one actually had it who had an Atari. Uh, right. Surround, Video Pinball, Early One, and Yards Revenge. That's a decent That's a decent lineup. It's a fucking multi-cart with switches. Atari couldn't even put the money into developing a real multi-cart with like a fucking menu. Okay, see, I thought the switches, uh, I thought you hit the switches on the front of the Atari. No, Ian, this is this is an old school multi-cart that they're making in the 2000s. Like the uh, original, like the original multi-carts at Hobbyist is. They are there right. are switches on the cartridge, which would mean to switch a game, take that fucker out, look at the combination of switches on the cart. This is prehistoric shit. In the retro gaming community, this is stuff people did in garages, and Atari couldn't have a programmer do a fucking multi cart with a menu. Again, you know why? 
because this is using uh, an off-the-shelf emulator that it's not FPGA, and they probably would have issues with that. Probably. Yep. Probably. Yeah. Um, So when I saw that, uh, I was like, I mean, honestly, the the acceptable cart size for an Atari probably would have. That's probably. I'm assuming that's why. But again, if you're using an emulator and you're not doing an FPGA system, then find the bypass, find the workaround. Yes. So as like Ian said before, thank you for bringing it up, Ian. Uh, and I talked to our pal Kevrich, said the same thing. There's no bank switching the games, which also means there's no larger games, but right. the, like the eight kilobyte games, like uh, like like whatever, uh, Super Cobra Command, and um, and uh, like Star Wars Arcade. The more complex games, you will not be able to run for the most part uh, on this, which sucks. So Atari, to their credit, which I'll get into why this is horseshit though, has on their website a compatibility list that is fucking laughable for a couple of different reasons. Um, it has a compatibility list where they have um, things that well, I just lost it. What happened to the compatibility list it says instantly compatible with hundreds of Atari's original games. You got to scroll down Ian, for it, but then it says download full, com- download the PDF. The PDF comes up and they have published by Atari. Uh, which is interesting because it's like these these games weren't all published by Atari, but whatever. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the list is published by Atari. It's for a twenty six hundred and seven eight hundred. They have pass, untested, and fail. The amount of games they have that are untested, finger pack quotes, is about fifteen eh, percent, maybe twenty percent of the games. Fifteen percent, we'll just say, are untested. And they only have like Super Cobra, not Super Cobra, Cobra, Super Cobra. They have as a big fat F on that. And they have like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a big fat F. But Star Wars, the arcade game, which based upon our knowledge of this being Stella, probably does not work. They have untested. So I will. They just don't want to say that it doesn't work. Yes. This list is fucking horseshit that they had the balls to say that they had they had a fucking rare real Texas chainsaw massacre cartridge around something that can go for 800 or 1000 dollars you're trying to tell me they had that and tested that and failed it but they couldn't get it whatever it costs a 40 dollar star wars arcade game also, card they did a really good job of hiding this on the page cuz i still don't fucking see it anywhere and i've scrolled through the faq um it's on their main page you scroll the down 600 plus main page yes you scroll down okay. And when it says hundreds of games, then then you, uh, instantly compatible, then beneath it says download the game. So you're right, Ian. You're right. I didn't even say that. It is a little hidden. It's a little hidden. You want me to drop in the actual list for you? You still got it? You got it. Yes, please, because I cannot find it anywhere. So there you go. I'm looking at the hundreds of games. So now I'm in. pissed at Atari. I'm pissed because they sem- – I'm not saying Ian got fooled, but at least he was semi-bamboozled for a second via his tweet. If he, Where did he, you put it? <laughs> under, I just put it underneath. List. List of games. Thank you. Oh, it, that's a Shopify link. That's why I couldn't find it. Yeah, I guess it's a Shopify uh, store. So okay. Ian was a little tricked. My pal, Joe DeRosa, who grew up with the Atari 2600, great comedian, great podcaster, um, who actually had the Atari BCS. I'm not dumping on Joe. But Joe's like, hey, Pat, this looks good. I ordered it. And I had to go, oh, Joe. <laughs> there's, there's some things you have to know about this. So... They're going to get the casual people that won't look into this stuff as much or not know that it's emulator-based, for example, that won't know that there's a hidden compatibility list down there you have to find. Because I think Kev Trist told me about the list. So this is a problem. 
But what what makes this even a bigger problem, Ian, is the Retron 5, for all its faults, has an SD card slot, which means that you can not only update the emulator Stella, which you would have to if you bought one off the shelf today. You probably you mean, have you to mean the Retron 77. You said Retron 5. Retron 77. You you could update like that console. You can update things on it, firmware, and load ROMs. So you could be able to load on all the Atari ROMs. So it's almost like the cartridge slot would almost be secondary. Who the hell cares? At least I have a nice little machine for $75 that does right. HDMI out and does that. I don't see any evidence on this that I can do it because it's, saying, it's not fucking listed. All I see is a, a CG render of the of the console, and there's nothing I see in here that even says it, you can connect it to like an SD card about that. And but why would Atari want you to load your own ROMs? Of course, because uh, one of my main issues with this, and this is where I think this is craven, is that they want to get you into. They want to reboot a 50 year old, 55 year old cartridge ecosystem, Atari. Right. That they started doing with their uh, co- collectible versions the last year or two. That we ragged on the prices of these Atari carts being like sixty fucking dollars. That the marketing was wrong on the website. They credited Howard Scott Warshaw for shit he didn't do, and just was a it, it was a mess. They want you to now go and buy these new game packs and buy these games so you can play so, on your new Atari Twenty Hundred Plus. Let me just double check that I'm right on this. Hold on. This is going to drive me insane. Where is that compatibility list now? Where did I put it? Here it is. Uh, so tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm not. So e- there's games that aren't even on this list that were Atari published. Obviously, there's no full repository of games, but like I'm looking for some of the stuff that people would genuinely want to play on here. Some of the better, better games. Pitfall works, but Pitfall 2 is untested. I immediately wanted to look up Solaris, which is one of the best Atari games, and it's an Atari made and published game, and it's not even on the list because I guarantee you that does not work. Which at it, all. What's even stranger is this. Um, it says on the list, Ian, in parentheses, some of these games are cassette games. So you're telling me I can attach an Atari uh, supercharger, you know, the attachment to put the cassette. You're telling me I can do this on this? I don't think you can. I'd love to be shown how. I think they just tested that in the emulator that's on the Atari 2600 uh, Plus. Right. They're claiming I can play cassette games on this? Prove me wrong, Atari. It's really weird. It's really... I don't think it's true. I love to be proven either. I love to be proven wrong on it. Uh, And then just Uh, randomly, uh, games like, like... I'm just noticing stuff that's not... Here at all, Taz is not on here. So you're saying um, the list is even Solaris complete? Solaris is not on here. Okay. Um, yeah, let me see. Is Star Raiders on here? So you're saying there's untested things on this list that aren't even on on this list. Like, they didn't go... They, they only listed a certain amount. Okay, they did Star Raiders. One of the most... Like, I mean, that game was... It's not on the list? When it came out. Not on the list. Jesus Christ. Okay, this is this is worse than I thought then. I was given the yeah, benefit. They're, they're, yeah, I mean, they. This list is. We're going to talk about the funny because this list is handpicked to make it look good, and it doesn't look good. And then, as uh, soon as you just start peeling back layers, there's all sorts of games that people want to play on here that I'm trying to look up that just aren't on here because they don't fucking work. Or, yeah, how the know. hell do they have very how, weird? How the hell do they have chased the Chuck Wagon and Tax Avoiders where they don't have Star Raiders on the list? Oh no, there's Star Raiders. I'm oh, sorry. they did. Okay, they do it. have it. 
Okay. Oh, okay. It's weird because they fucking change how they alphabetize. Okay, this is published by Atari, published by a third party, published by a third. Okay, so that's my that's my bad. Oh, that I see. My bad. That oh, that's what the, the headers are. Gotcha. Okay. I was going to say, that'd be, that'd be okay, bizarre. And Solaris is here and it passed, so I, I do have to correct myself on that. They but, did not make the list easy to read. But an Activision game like uh, Popeye uh, is untested. Right, and same with like Pitfall 2. And I guarantee you, like, I don't, I mean, how how thorough is their pass? Did they pop the cartridge in and make sure it turned on? That's probably it. Did they play it? Are there any other issues that pop up when you start playing the games? Because I had people tell me that was the case with the Hyperkin. That they would pop out, you know, power up a game, and then it would start, and then something would happen. It would freeze. It would display wrong. Um, I definitely remember Pitfall Two being one of the reasons a guy returned the system, though. Well, he was like, "If it can't play this, he's like, I don't want it." <laughs> I just think it's funny as hell that again, this is bullshit. You're telling me they couldn't get a Star Wars arcade game, one of the probably technically better, superior games, but um, you know, they 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 pass some of these other esoteric third party games. That's like you had that laying around, really. Or, or you know what I mean? You really you, like again? It's but it's anyway. So this is this is where it becomes craven. This is where it becomes unacceptable. Two things: one, you get one joystick, and they want you to, uh, to spend twenty five bucks on a second. Two, they want you to spend forty dollars to get the paddle controllers. Two of with them with four games with another another switch multi cart yep. another. So they with want only you four games four. So they want you to spend sixty five really. Plus the one third to get the true. Remember the, the truth. Atari. Yeah, remember when you got a, a twenty six hundred back in the day, you got those paddles. They yeah. fucking threw that shit in for you when you got it way back they, in the day. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, way back. I think the original, like way back. Mm. Correct me wrong. Like if you got the original got release. So, but here's the other thing they don't tell you, or they don't. You don't realize that some people won't realize that out of the box you won't be able to. Like yeah, I can fire up a seventeen hundred game, but I can't play it with this fucking joystick with one button for for some of these games. You need the two buttons. So like this is just it, it's it's so ballsy uh, to me to do this, like to, to advertise seven hundred games when you know that when you get this, I'm shocked that they don't have a seven hundred controller for sale. Do they not realize that some of those games you need two buttons for that? Like I like it's it's nuts to me. That that they, they they have a joystick and don't have two buttons. The Retron seventy seven controller, I believe, has two buttons on it, which I think is just for ambidextrous, ambidextrous people. But I I wouldn't be shocked if you could maybe configure it for that. So the whole thing to me is just a wash with problems. And here's the other thing: if you want to satisfy the itch, the itch of just having an HDMI uh, compatible console, you can get that. Uh, the, the last flashback. The Atari uh, 50th flash, flashback, flashback has 130 uh-huh. games on it. 130 games, including third-party Activision ones. Two controllers and two paddles for $83. It's on Prime right now. And I think for 95% of Atari uh, fans, that might be enough. Because you're going to get all the Atari games. You're going to get all the Activision games that, that I loved, like Keystone Capers and, and Pitfall. And you're going to get out-of-the-box two players for paddle games and for Atari games. I like that to me overall would be my solution. If you didn't want to go through trying to like fucking uh hack or, or add ROMs to a Retron 77, I, like that's the way I would go versus this 2600 plus. That's me. Yeah, I agree. 
So that's probably the best way to do it. So like Especially like I said, because they've got games that won't run on you know yeah. No. So I said like that's what really got me was a combination of one controller. This thing is overpriced. Switch uh, switch games, literal physical switches on these multi carts, and the fact that I think they are they are not telling you the truth about compatibility, and they really want people that aren't in the know to buy the same fucking hardware that they bought when they were 10 years old in 1980 or 1979, having to spend $40 on a, on a, a four fucking cart multi-cart. They could have, they could have came out with a 2600 plus Ian for $130 and say, we're going to have, we're going to have 50 games built in or 40 yeah. games built in. We're going to do the same thing we did with the VCS uh, and, uh, Android box. And we're going to throw in some games for you because we own Even these if it was emulation. Games. If it was just a, if it was just a, a, a um, it was just a flashback with a cartridge slot. Like that would have been better, acceptable, more acceptable at least. Yeah, if they gave you a hundred these hundred and thirty games or hundred games that they own, not to say they relicensed the Activision ones because obviously the flashback sure. people folks did Act games. Uh, but if they had given you a hundred built-in games and the cartridge slot, like you said, because there is a there is an older flashback that has a cartridge slot. I have one, I believe, I, at my place. I know I think I might have given it away to someone, but I had one under my bed forever that I got from Luna. That was the one that had the solder points on the board to add a cartridge slot. Sure. There was a point where you could do that for like one or two iterations. So there you go. That's all that's all I gotta say about that. I just think it's um don't don't be don't be fooled by Atari. That's all I'm gonna say. They gotta do better. <laughs> yep, don't be fooled by Atari. This portion of the CU podcast is brought to you by Rex MD. Guys, going to the doctor to talk about your issues can be a problem. First, you got to book an appointment, then you got to go and wait in the waiting room before you talk to the doctor. Then sometimes it can be a little bit embarrassing to talk about issues that could be a little bit personal. Well, here's the thing most men's health issues have really simple solutions, and Rex MD is all about simple solutions. Rex MD makes getting generic and branded Viagra or Cialis easy. Everything's online, even the prescription, and they deliver to your door. There's no office visit. It's no talking to a receptionist. It's super simple. Did you know that Viagra can cost around 90 a pill? But RexMD has generic Viagra for as low as just $2 a pill. Just fill out a quick medical questionnaire on their website, and a doctor will review your situation and prescribe you generic Viagra if appropriate. Your medication gets shipped right to your door with free two-day shipping. It's fast, simple, and cheap, and you can access your U.S.-licensed RexMD physician anytime you need afterwards. RexMD has helped over 300,000 guys get generic Viagra quickly and conveniently. RexMD just works, and it works the very first night. Act now. Take advantage of their deal by heading to rexmd.com slash podcast. Our exclusive deal will save you up to 95% off, which is as low as $2 per dose on generic Viagra instead of $90 plus on Viagra. Starter packs of generic Viagra or Cialis are now available for our listeners to get started. That's rexmd.com slash podcast for up to 95% off plus a free gift. Your partner will thank you. Ian, we got a, we got a Q&A. We do. They uh, return to the Q and A. Uh, uh, Francis at far three one six underscore thoughts on the eBay vault for remote collection, storing, and buying, selling. I'd rather have cards in my possession. Ian, what do, what do you have to think about this? Well, I I feel like this is more your start here. I want to hear what you have to say about this one. Okay, so the the, the phenomenon now lately, really the past three four years, obviously is more and more speculation when it comes to collectible markets, uh, sports cards, um, Pokemon cards, Pokemon, um, video games through obviously uh, sealed shenanigans and 
WADA and Heritage Auction stuff. And I'm probably missing some um, that have really popped up more and exploded and now have obviously crashed the past year and a half. A lot of stuff like the sealed game market has obviously crashed and burned uh, about for almost like two years now. It's on the downtrend. So eBay is offering this service called eBay Vault, which basically means that you buy something through an eBay seller. They can it can get shipped uh, directly to the vault. Or I guess okay. eBay can also do things well. So real quick, I just want to make sure the reason I wanted you to start is because I don't really understand this. Is it really as plain and plainly simple as it looks? Is this just buying stuff and then having them hold it for you? Yes. I mean, look at the, what they offer here. So you, you submit things. You can ship. Okay. From... I just I couldn't believe it was actually just yes. that. So there's going to be I guess they're going to have reputable sellers that you can ship from checkout. You can ship from yourself if you own the item. Um, or you can, I guess, drop it off to booths at, at select card shows that they're going to be at for here. So they're just doing cards, right? Then they'll give you, I guess, an app that you can then track the value of everything in their fucking vault that you have there. I guess the whole market you can track. You can track your inventory of what you have. Then if you want to sell it, I believe it, it streamlines the, the, the experience from the vault to the next person who can keep it in the vault. This is this is why this is so. Um, yeah, this is. I don't. Yeah. I, I I used the word craven before. I probably shouldn't have. It's so uh, bare. What what is actually going on here? What they are doing with this vault system is they're creating an arbitrage ecosystem. They control everything. They control the buying. The possessing of the item and then the selling of this item to another party. They are working. It also seems uh, like you know buyers or, or, or owners or whatever are treating a collection, uh, I guess, more like you would non-committally trade stocks on something yes. like Robinhood or, or yes. watch or crypto. You got and it. I, I, I definitely you got it. hate this. Yeah, okay. you got it. Yeah, That's exactly is, this is what gross. this is. It's exactly okay. what you think it is. They are they are the the merchant and the marketplace. Ugh, it, it's like yeah. buying and selling stocks, literally, because when you buy and sell a stock, it's not like you are, you know, you get mailed the, the certificate right. that says I own these shares. It's all digital. And so when I sell it, it's all digital. This almost becomes a digital commodity in a weird fucking sense. It, well, yeah. Um, I mean, flat out, that's exactly what it is. You never, you, you don't know, have you to ever see it. it. You never see it. And you don't have to possess it. You don't have to keep it in your house. That is uh, the. I mean, that is the 100, that's the 200 proof distilled version of, you know, where video game collecting has been going and card collecting and comic collecting has been going to the point where it's just numbers and money. It has it, it finally taken it to the, the, the natural end point of treating things as an investment. And speculation. Sure. Because yeah, you don't care about the physical object anymore. It's just, well, what's the price right. of it now? Mm-hmm. And how much can I sell it for? I mean, that's yep. what it is. The dentist guy who keeps everything in, you know, he's basically doing it for himself. He's keeping everything in, like, uh, you know, in drawers, in his room or whatever. He's basically right, It's try- a portfolio. It's yeah, a portfolio. It's, a, it's not a collection. Yes, it's a portfolio. Thank you. It, it, it stops being something you care about outside of the numbers. And, and yeah. this, so, so eBay Vault is compared to other ones now because these are popping up. And I'll get into one that um, I, I met a person at Gold. It was actually very nice. I don't – nothing against them at all in terms of them, explain the concept to me for video games, which we'll get into. Um, but the eBay vault is offering the lowest fees in the hobby. No storage fees. Typical marketplace also does not until you do a transaction, which we'll get into. 
Uh, no selling fees through the vault. So eBay wants to keep it all with them uh, for that. No selling fees. You Obviously, they take a, a, a cut of the, the profits, things like that. Buyer's premium fees. So they're trying to get into the buyer's premium uh, thing, which obviously everything you buy, there's Up a premium. 20%. But right now, it's a seller that pays for everything. Now they're trying to make a new marketplace where the, there's a buyer's premium uh, on it. So like, say, I mean, any auction house, heritage auctions, whatever. Does like whatever, 10% or whatever, 8% for the buyer or 20, 15%, 20%. I think it's 15, 15% or 20. Um, so they're trying to get into that action. Um, they say typical marketplace vault up to 20% withdrawal oh. fees. This is where it's, this is where it's funny to me. This is how oh, okay. So be. that's they're compare. I see they're comparing different. Yes. Okay. So, so 3% would be the buyer's premium for the eBay vault up to 20 would be the typical marketplace. Okay. I got it. Now. So withdrawal meaning you may hold this for me for free, but eventually they got to make their money. If I said to them, Hey, you got my uh, Charizard fucking foil card the one that logan paul has around his neck which has plummeted in value by the way i don't track that but i know pokemon cards have plummeted in value and a lot since everything has everything uh, that boosted over the pandemic uh, has gone down in value not everything has plummeted but it's all gone down sure uh so ebay's capping at 50 dollars per card as a cap uh typical marketplace vault will charge you one to three percent of the value of the card or that commodity um, and then submission fee, submission fees, I guess, for their own auctions. I guess they're going to get into their own events, like a heritage auctions. None until 2024. So they want you to get into the ecosystem for a low cost right get now. Get in early. Get in early. Uh, they want to basically take a cut of these other folks. So I met uh, Dominic at Golden Auctions at Portland last year. Because now when you go to Portland, it's going to be really interesting this year to see. Because while heritage auctions Agreed. has had a... Uh, had had a booth at too many games, which is another big one. Obviously, not a lot of traffic. No one fucking cares. That's right. not why they go to too many games. Um, and again, these people that collect sealed stuff and and buy and sell are very, very, very. They are a small portion of a of a small portion to begin with. So it'll be very interesting to see if like Golden and if Wada will be there. Uh, Wada is now like Persona Non Grata, obviously, at a lot of these events. Uh, Golden will be there. CGC will probably be there. So I talked to Dominic last year because now they're doing this and probably others are doing this with, with games. People are starting to do this. So meaning that right. if I buy something at an auction, Golden does auctions just like Heritage Auction does, I can choose to have Golden hold on to my game in their vault, safe and sound in their vault somewhere. Um, they can hold on to it until I decide to either sell it or I take it out myself. And that's when they make their money. Like where it's like, well, we can hold it on to it for you, but if you want to take it back, we're going to charge you a fee to withdraw it from it because you're now coming out of our ecosystem where we make our money selling these things. That's so that's how they get their money. Which again, it's a business. I understand there's a need for it, but sure. this is where we've come with collectibles hobby, where yeah. it's so naked what what the end goal is, where it's just like, well, like you said, like you said. It's, this is like you might as well be trading it as a fucking NFT at this point. Yeah, it's not a collection; it's an investment. It's uh, not a, uh, you know, um, it's, it's not a collection; it's a portfolio. It's yeah, it's just another numbers game at that point. Because now you don't even have to worry about how you display it or even having the room. Like say, like you know, art you got to put it somewhere, put it on a wall. And historically, art's been a great investment because and they're, one, they're mostly one of a kind items too. Um, right. So with this now. It's just playing around with objects that exist in, in reality. You may never, ever see any of this. And I guarantee you, 
there are speculators that have gotten in on this, either with and with Golden. And this isn't on Golden, make your money. Or someone else, though. But I guarantee you there are speculators that think this is a great idea uh, to do this. I'm going to divorce myself for any uh, owning anything physically in terms of like having it in my possession to look at or to share or to talk about. And it's just going to be vaulted until I dis- until the, the value may go up and I decide to sell it. I'll never have to deal with any shipping. I'll never have to deal with any communication. It's Again, it's like me going on my Charles Schwab account, Ian, and selling stocks. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they show a picture of like the, you know, the, the app and it literally looks like any stock app or program you've ever used. It just, yes, you know, with, with, shows with the line going, going up. up. Yep. Yeah. Um, I like, again, this is going to satisfy that those diehard. God, at this point, is it even 200 people? Maybe 300. I always, it's funny because whenever I said, Ian, I say about two to 300 people are in this sealed game sort of collecting thing that are really into it. I've been told mm-hmm. through sources like that's not that far off the mark. It's probably around that or might be under three. Like it's not a lot of people that can have the money to play around in this and to take these risks and think that they have an actual interest in the sealed games to that point where they could try to invest, you know, six figures on these things. So yeah. Um, I personally can't picture using something like this because I would like to own something I would buy even if it was six figures versus having it in a vault somewhere. It kind of just, it kind of extinguishes that last vestige of actually collecting something mm-hmm. where it's like you actually yeah. own it in your yep. possession and have it. And you can say, Hey Pat, you got your things in a, in a, you know, in a, a deposit box at a bank. Yes. You but I still in a deposit box at a bank. You yeah. don't have all of them. And it's like, I don't I... mind this idea for, one or two things, I guess, if that's what you want to do. Just like I don't care if people buy sealed collected or sealed games or you know graded games. It's it's when that becomes the entirety of your hobby. Yes, the entirety of your collection. That's when it gets strange. And the intent of a deposit box is to have a safe safety place so someone can't like break it and steal it. Like, but I can still get it, and I've taken it out for things. And like my uh, my collection video that I did uh, last year that you didn't see, the December one. So like stuff like that where it's still in my possession. Like technically, it's in my vicinity. I, it has passed through my greasy fingers. Those games. You could go pick it up if you wanted to. It's just further away. Yes, it's a car ride away. Um. So anyway, so I just thought that was interesting, and uh, I'll probably do a thumbnail where I'm holding my stain events and saying, "Should I vault this?" I'll probably. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Um, you had one other thing that you wanted to bring up though on this podcast that I do think is interesting, but uh, I mean that's your this is your story. What was my story? Well, to close off talking about the video games and well, close off talking about vaulting and stuff. You were going to mention uh, two more prices that had plummeted. Oh, that, thank you, Ian. This is why I love Ian. He reminds me of because I'm getting old and my brain is like worm riddled. Um, good, good old, uh, good old Carl Jopes, uh, who's obviously critical uh, of WADA and uh, some of the sealed marketplace shenanigans. Um, he sent me something that I thought was funny because we're always good at pointing out the heritage auctions uh, values plummeting. It's like, a, it's like, because you can't deny it's in black and white. It's like, Oh, this isn't a crash. Yeah. 75%. Uh, hey Pete, hope I hope I see you at uh, Portland again this year. You can tell me about how it's just simply still a market correction or about to talk about, or Danielle who likes, who likes to yell at me a person. So he sent me a couple that were uh, good goodies. Like this one, this first one could be the largest percentage of a drop of any game ever. It's a real doozy. 
Tecmo Bowl, Wada 9.4A plus sealed. Later production, not even the first print. June 2022, $144,000 for Tecmo Bowl. Oh, man. In, 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 is it June or January? I can't tell. I think it's January. So a year and a half later, obviously things have happened. That was that was past the peak. The peak was probably a few months before that. Yeah. The, a better condition, 9.6 A+. Plus, a better condition one went for under $5,000 uh, April of this year. So a year and a half later, not even that person lost nearly $140,000 in a worst in a worse grade investment. That could be the worst one percentage wise. That's worse than the Sonic the Hedgehogs. That's worse than the Mario 64s, uh, I, I think. Because I think the Mario 64 ended up 1.5 to like 360,000 in the golden one. That was a, the same sort of grade. Um, this could be percentage wise the worst drop of any of these games that we've uh, tried to track. Because it's like five divided by 144. Um, that's a 90% like 96.5% drop. Incredible. That's a great investment there. This other one is funny just because it's a more modern game, and I would think you'd be insane to try to invest this much money in a fucking Wii game, by the way. Right. Poke Park. Uh, Wii Pikachu's Adventure 2010. Are you familiar with this game at all? I'm not. Uh yeah, I mean not a particularly great game, cute, but you know, um also not particularly rare. Uh, I think this uh, was probably just someone trying to capitalize on uh anything with the Pokemon name. I would this think old, I would think up? a poke I said I would think any Pokemon game probably isn't rare. Uh you know, maybe some are harder right. to find others, but the second yeah. one in the uh series, there's a Poke Park two. It's still at least when I worked at Luna, it wasn't super expensive. But, you know, it was a late release title. Sure. So even late release Pokemon titles are going to have less print uh, than, you know, er, uh, earlier, like, you know, in the when the uh, system is uh, relevant. But uh, like I said, neither of those are huge rarities. We got them through Luna all the time. The first one here sold July 27th, 2021 for twenty two thousand eight hundred dollars. It sold uh, two years later, almost exactly. Uh, same month, at least July 6, twenty twenty three, for 600. my eyes are so bad. Is that six hundred or four hundred? Six hundred dollars. So yep. you lost twenty two two. God, that 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 percentage might be just like a ninety seven percent as well. So that's six hundred divided by twenty two eight. Holy shit! I think it's insane that people that's are worse buying these pers- pers- after, like seeing this. Like, are they hoping that this is the dip? Are they buying the dip? That's a 97.4% drop. So not worse money-wise. That's still the Super Mario 64. That person, first person lost at least $1.2 million. We know that. And they're, they've been afraid to, to uh, auction off 9.8s ever since that, or even 9.6s. But percentage-wise, these are bad. 97% yeah. drops on these in like a year and a half. So obviously these things peaked about this summer. They, they, they peaked probably, even after Carl Job's video came out, they were still... Uh, that was like September of 2021, almost two years ago, when my hair was poofed out because of the humidity. I still look bad in that video. Um, so the writing was on the wall uh, even before that video. Obviously, we try to warn folks. Uh, people obviously know what's up, and the market's obviously collapsed. And I'm not saying, like, I don't even know, like, I don't know, like a Tecmo Bowl uh, sealed for five grand. 
is that still a bad deal? I don't know. At least like if you, on its surface, it's not batshit crazy. That's what we said. Me always said we've been around this enough where when you just put numbers in front of them, we're like that's batshit crazy. The the Super Mario sixty four that's batshit crazy. And the people that yeah. told you it wasn't batshit crazy are the people that were invested and are still invested in it. The people that try to say, well, this is natural because look at stuff in other markets, not knowing the history of these markets, not knowing what people actually collected, and not knowing how many of some of these games are actually out there. Like That's, right. that's the whole point. So we'll see. Uh, we'll be at PRG in six weeks, and I'd love to see how things, uh, if there's a lot of sealed. Because there, there was a, that one sealed uh, seller was not at Long Island this year. Nope. And I didn't see him also at uh, too many games this year. And they were at both, I believe, last year. So it's like, well, not saying there weren't sealed games there, but certain people, they're, they're not uh, showing their faces as much, it seems. Well, I mean, to wrap it up, it's, it's one of those things where, like, so many people got so angry and, uh, I guess, spiteful immediately. And it's because they realized they had a lot to lose. They have to keep a nice face on. They got to keep talking about how great it is. But when people fly off the edge like that, like that guy did in that video, sure. you know, um, it, it's because they know they're losing a shitload of money and they're trying to fucking grit their teeth through it. Or, you know, like the online, you know, saying is now post through it. And it, it's, 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 it's nakedly obvious. And they are that um, deluded to think Say what, say what you will about uh, my ego or what we think about ourselves. The, some of these folks, uh, as I've been told, actually complain and think that people like me and you, Ian, directly, we help tank this market. That we, because of because of our podcast, we had the power to tank these like six this, and five figure investments. This has been brought up against this many times. This goes back to a certain console that never materialized. Um, but. Uh, yeah, they like to blame us. And it's like, guys, if we could have if we did that, the market was your your market was not strong enough. Your idea was not strong enough to stand on its own because these people think we're nobody. They'll say we're nobodies, but then they will also say that we have the power to destroy what they are doing. And we don't have that power to destroy what, what they're doing. We just know how to call it. We know how to call it. We were just reflective of common sense economics and a marketplace that we've been around, uh, both of us combined for half a fucking century. Combined experience. years experience. Yeah, six, no, seriously, me and Ian's collecting experience is at least 50 years combined. So I it's would like, say at least 50, sure. Here. Yeah. Because we both started like late 90s, mid to late 90s. So like, yeah, my mid teens, and I'm 41. So, you old you man, go. you. Um, so um, that's what it comes down to. We are reflective of the, you know, I guess silent majority when it comes to these uh, these these forces at work, whether it's failed consoles or failed marketplaces that are hyped up by speculation. That's it. All right. That well, was, that was a fun podcast. Was a fun Ian. one. I'm, su- fun I'm super. Show. I'm sorry the stream deck was not working, Ian. I know you, you got a reprieve. I wanted yeah, to hit the, I wanted to hit the update like twice, and it's been a while. So badly. And my, well, you could maybe you can layer them in. <laughs> I could, but I need but I need to get the authentic uh, timber from the stream. <laughs> That's so weird. Well, well, Ian, this was fun. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it again in Portland. I enjoyed it. We'll have fun. I still got to book my flight. Shh, don't tell anyone that. I got to book my flight. Today. So do I. I did get back to him about my hotel stay though. So progress. So you're, you're gonna all co- right. You're gonna, you're gonna do, you're gonna do the, the regular the regular weekend. Um. I'm I'm shooting for Thursday through Monday just because it's less stressful for me. But honestly, if if, if I could only get Friday through Sunday, that's fine too. It's just um, 
Been a lot going on this year, so I'm not going to do the usual length trip I do. I love being in Portland. Sure. Bonnie and I usually try to get up there for five, six days when I go. But Bonnie's not going this year, and I'm, I'm not going to go up there just standing up by myself. Well, I'm there. Okay. Well, I'm there. I mean, um, I mean, like, in the early days. I'm not going to go up there to hang out Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and stuff like that like I usually do. Sure. We'll have fun. We always find stuff to do. But hey, I'll go to the Oh, York. it'll be great. I mean, Portland's always a good I, time. I feel like yeah, I want to. It's not going to be long for me. I wish I wish the auction was a different time. I love the auction because you get some good deals there. I've gotten a good deal on my, on my Master System kiosk uh, unit. I, but it's so long, the auction, that I'm just like, and plus it's always like, well, I'm trying to, like, wind down on a Saturday night. I'm like, uh, I wish there was another time for it. I just know when they could do it like a friday night but then it's like you don't have a lot of the people there yeah so, anyway. all right well this was funny Ian. all right we'll talk to you soon bye